Hello and welcome aboard the good ship Bullet Points. I am your Rear Admiral Ed Smith. Uh, joining me this week and uh, manning the anti-aircraft guns is First Mate Patrick Lindsay. Rear Admiral, really? <laughs> well, I, I wanted to give myself a title that was both distinguished and amusing. Oh, well that is exactly what that is. Exactly, exactly what it is, yeah. Can yeah. I be Colonel Sanders? Well, I've, I've I've prepared titles for everybody. Oh, awesome! Let's let's not mess with the system, okay? I'm running a tight ship here, right? Uh, uh. So, Patrick, Patrick, you're my first mate, and live from the poop deck is <laughs> Coxswain, <laughs> Coxswain Reed McCarter. Oh, you got poop and cock in there. Yep. very good. Yep. I didn't. Thanks. I didn't know sailing was so. Oh, hilarious. it's a riot. Oh. It's always a laugh aboard the good SS bullet points. The good, the good uh, ship Smith. HMS podcast. Pronounce H. Ed. <laughs> I'm the rear admiral, alright? It's pronounced how I say. Uh, we also have a stowaway on board this week, although we prefer <laughs> the term special guest. She's the managing editor at Game Ranks and also a contributor to Polygon. Please welcome Holly Green. Hi, guys. Hello, welcome aboard, Holly. Welcome aboard our luxurious liner. Let's hope there are no icebergs ahead. As today we will be making a journey to the <laughs> continent of 2005, uh, navigating the Cape of Monolith Games to find the archipelago <laughs> of fear. This is the, which is this show sucks. Which is this sucks. Wait, wait. <laughs> which is a nautical way of saying we're talking this week about fear, the 2005 game for Monolith. So. Let's smash a bottle. I'm going to call this. I'm going to call this bluff and see how far we can take this. So, let's smash a bottle of champagne against this episode <laughs> and set sail. Uh, reporting for duty first, Holly. What do you think generally of fear? <laughs> wow. By the way, I'm done. That's it now. So. <laughs> oh, thank God. Well, I'll, I'll just I'll just spit out an opinion real quick, and we could be done with the podcast. It'll be three and a half minutes, and that'll be it Excellent. for this week. Excellent. Yeah, that's perfect content. Um, well, I imagine the reason you guys asked me to do this podcast was specifically because you knew that I am a fan of the series. Which, um, as Patrick and Reed know, I actually wrote a little bit about fear when we did um, Shooter, the compilation of um, of essays about first person shooters. Um, you know, I, I consider it a really amazing, unique blend of, of fear and FPS that, or excuse me, of horror and FPS that's really hard to achieve just due to the nature of horror games themselves, um, which rely so much on atmospheric tension. And uh, that's something that gets broken up and completely disrupted by the mechanics of first-person shooters. So, you know, I was I was impressed with, with how that was done in the series. Now, I, I went back to fear recently and... I know you guys only played that first one for the sake of this podcast, and it hasn't aged well. It's really rough. Uh, personally, I think uh, Fear Two is probably the best one in the series, but um, you know, it's it's very hard to uh, maintain that atmosphere of tension and, and fear in general when you have a player that is so empowered by the fact that they have guns and these other mechanisms. And um, so, in that sense, uh, you know, I really felt that. Fear was not only a solid shooter, but kind of um, a pioneer just in terms of horror games because it doesn't rely on the conventions of the um, 
you know, there's a huge scene for horror games, on, you know, on PC, and they're typically first-person adventure, you know, puzzle-solving kind of type affairs. But fear was a lot bolder in that sense. It was it was a lot of a risk to step outside those conventions. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to summarize. You know, just be like, oh, I think fear <laughs> is blank. You know, I don't I don't want to, because obviously it it very much has its flaws. But um, the conventions of the game were very important to me as a player emerging into first-person shooters just because, um, you know, for those of you who haven't played the game, there's um, your player's, the first, uh, excuse me, the player character's um, supernatural abilities allow you to slow down time while you're actually in combat when you're shooting. And when I first encountered Fear, I didn't have a lot of skill in first-person shooters, and so anyone who's really good at them will tell you part of what what adds to your skill level what makes you good at them is your ability in that moment to kind of slow down time you know not panic just turn everything into an order of operations you know um to adopt um an intense amount of focus and i felt like the um, the slowdown mechanism within fear was a really good simulation of that something that um mirrored that while at the same time acting as kind of a, a buffer, something that would allow you to build up your skill until you could not rely on it at all. Um, so I, I very much, you know, credit fear with my awesome skills as an FPS player. Cause it was like, you know, those moments that you need to have when you're in an FPS where it's like, you're, you're when you get in the moment of combat, it's like the first instinct is to panic. And that is the one thing that's going to contribute to, and your inability to aim, your inability to focus in the moment at all. So, fear provided a, an amazing simulator of that one moment. You know, I, I mean, I, I attribute it very much with my ability to play FPS games now, because panic was probably my my biggest issue. You know, adapting to that play style because I'm not a very aggressive person. You know, but well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in a second to Patrick, but uh, just to respond to you briefly there, Holly, I would like to say that Shooter, a compilation of essays about shooting games, is <laughs> on Amazon.com for the reasonable price of $9.99. It's the perfect gift for Christmas, or a loved one. Patrick, what did you think of Fear, generally? I'm going to take not quite an opposite platform from Holly, but I think I'll, str- I'll straddle the two platforms. I will stand astride them. Um, I would, wouldn't I? That's, that's, that's so me. Um, I, I suggested fear because I think it's very interesting for a lot of reasons. I think it's very interesting because it is very much a snapshot of the time period that it was created in. Um, 2005, as Ed mentioned, which is like the, the very just creeping edge of like the, the sort of old style of shooters before modern warfare and Bioshock just came in fucked it all up um and i think that it's it's sort of also monolith is a very well established first person shooter developer they made blood back in 96 i think um and i think that fear is very like fear's pedigree shows very obviously in a lot of ways some are interesting some are annoying um we'll get to it i'm sure uh, I do want to take a second to talk about what Holly had mentioned about the whole idea of um, blending horror and and shooter elements. Um, I agree that it does it, sort of. I think Fear, in a lot of ways, is actually kind of two games. 
there's the standard sort of like monolith style shooter and then there are these segments that are atmosphere and kind of creeping dread and i think another point that i'm sure we'll get to is i don't believe that the game is very good at spinning both of those plates at the same time there are many instances where it's kind of doing one and then it jumps immediately over to the other and then back and forth which has ramifications for atmosphere and mood that i'm sure we will get to and uh yeah that's it for me Okay, Reed, if you'd like to parry that opinion and offer a counterattack of your own. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I like this game, and I think that balance between... Uh, I think both Holly and Patrick bring up uh, big points that we'll probably want to talk about a lot. Sort of the, uh, the slowdown mechanic. Uh, if only we had a podcast where we could talk yeah, about it's, points. It's, it's too bad game. that we're just going to have to shut this off now. Um... Yeah, but yeah, the sort of the mix of of horror and and action uh, that Patrick is saying, I'm probably closer to Holly in thinking that it works, even though I don't think it's an incredibly scary game. I think it has a really good mood uh, that it that it manages to hold on to. Um, yeah, I don't know, Ed. Why don't you say what you think, and then we can just get this get this rolling down the hill. Get this. Just close up shop and yeah. hit the bar. Turn this ship up to five Eleven. knots. Eleven. Yeah, make it go faster. You've been on a ship, Ed. Uh, well, my my mum's boyfriend is a fisherman, so yes. Oh. Yeah, I've been on a ship and fishing, and I've killed and gutted many a fish. Yeet. So don't mess with me. <laughs> uh, I think fear. I don't like the horror element of it at all i think it's a bit incomprehensible and i find the game quite blocky in that it's shoot scary shoot scary and the sort of jumpy bits or horror bits that they try to weave into the shooting bits i find a bit clumsy and undercooked but i think it's a really really great shooting game it gets something right that so many shooting games don't even though I think it's quite basic which is sound effects I think the guns in fear sound fantastic and that takes it a long way it takes any game a long way up my sort of ladder of opinion because if the guns are sort of sounding loud then I feel something for the game um, uh, the slow motion stuff I think is really good I think there's a lot of games that have done that and they've not ever come as close to sort of doing it as well as fear um, and I think that what Patrick was talking about in regards to Monolith and its pedigree, I think there's something interesting uh, in another game that I played recently was No One Lives Forever, which is a Monolith first-person shooter from 2000, so five years before Fear. And you can see that going into Fear, and then you can also see the Condemned games sort of coming out of Fear, uh, which Monolith also developed. So there's a kind of it's like an interesting nexus point i think for a lot of their uh projects um but if we're going to get into specific questions i'm going to chuck first to patrick this time uh let's talk first i think about the horror element so patrick what do you think of the horror and fear do you think that it's well done do you think the game would be better or worse without it do you think that it's scary um, or atmospheric well i think i should preface this by saying that i am a horror wimp like absolutely in the worst degree um, so I don't really normally have a very high tolerance for horror. That said, I had very little problem playing through mm. Fear. Um, it seems like they almost kind of front load all of the game with all of their like sort of choice scary moments. 
Um, like there's a part early on where you go to climb down a ladder and as the contact sensitive animation concludes and you turn around, you see, you get a glimpse of like Alma standing at the top of the ladder and they do a lot of like ghostly figures kind of evanescing into and out of reality as you turn corners and sort of like, are you not quite sure that you saw that or not sort of thing, which is, I, th- I think what Reed said early on is very true. I don't think it's scary so much as it's atmospheric. Um, which is good. I mean, the fact that it does atmosphere well is good because this game's plot is utterly fucking nonsensical um, and its pacing is abysmal. Um, but I enjoyed getting from point A to point B, so I kind of feel like that's sort of enough. I do agree with Ed that the shooting is very good. Um, I think the ragdoll is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Even if unintentional. It feels like um, it feels like you saying getting from point A to point B is pretty apt in terms of the design of the game in that, you know, this is an older game. I, I think the horror elements don't hold up to what we're used to now. And then additionally, they're so restricted, mostly to transition points in the game where it's like you arrive at a location, you've got shooty stuff you're doing, and blah, and then it's like when you're moving from location A to B that's when something freaky happens, mm-hmm. right? And it's not right. actually very well blended into the combat until the second game, which, you know, I recognize you guys didn't play or whatever. It did improve. I'll, it got better, I'll say. But um, <laughs> uh, but that phrase kind of makes sense to me. Even as much as I love the game, it's very much, you know, get from point A to point B. So mm. Yeah, I do. I, I think what Ed said about the game being very blocky is 100% spot on. Um, and eventually you kind of find a rhythm where you're sort of like, well, I'm in an enemies section right now, so I know that I don't really have to creep around yeah. these hallways and be afraid because I know that I'm in, I'm doing the shooty thing now. Um, so it kind of gives itself away in that sense. It does. I think that Holly's absolutely right in as much as the horror always feels like a bookend between each level and... Yeah, you, you kind of, there's these bits where I found myself kind of creeping around in the dark and then you hear like uh, enemy radio chatter from the next room and you just kind of like hit the crouch button to stand up again and like your shoulders relax. Like, oh, okay, so it's one of these bits and then you do that. Right, right. Go back to creeping or whatever. In that sense, very um, very much a formula in that sense. Yeah, it is, it is. You can, you can sort of uh, see the script of fear. You can really sort of every storyboard <laughs> uh, yeah every every storyboard and every sort of change in tone is is very sort of telegraphed whether it means to be or not um read what are your themes yeah i i agree with you guys about that i think it uh the time it strikes the best mix is sort of toward the beginning when you don't know what to expect from it and this is true i guess in a lot of games where you haven't really seen the the skeleton of it you haven't seen how uh, how they're going to structure you know, enemy encounters versus exploration and everything. Uh, and at the very beginning, it does a good job of just kind of throws the character into this uh, warehouse, I think. Um, and everything's just kind of eerie and you feel kind of trapped and you, know, you see little glimpses of ghosts and you hear whispering and uh, it really gets that. But it's true, once you kind of see the formula of like you guys are saying, you know there's going to be a gunfight and then after the gunfight there's going to be five or ten minutes of kind of just crawling along tubes and stuff and that you know that's when it's going to try to scare you and nothing really keeps it hung together uh nothing really keeps it cohesive except for i think the the sound uh Mm. has it is forced to do all the work 
of of mm. making it cohesive. Um, I th- no, sir. Just on the on the levels, like talking about you know you you begin in the warehouse and things like this. It's something that Patrick touched on about the game being sort of badly paced and um, slightly incomprehensible and. All the way through fear, I was sort of asking myself, "Hang on, what? Why am I here? Like, what is mm-hmm. what is this room for? Why have I been brought to this building? I never really had any clue." Um, and one of the games that I've seen fear compared to in articles is Half Life because I think that people sort of identify, yeah, which is a kind of which is a big comparison. I mean, we've talked about Half Life before, and we weren't unanimously up on it, but I think that it's a probably more sophisticated slash intelligent game than Fear um, and I think that Half-Life does a much better job of sort of weaving in between the sort of environmental danger slash horror and action than Fear does but uh, I think that Fear has a similar ambition to yeah kind of change rhythm and be more than just a straight shooter and be more than just a horror game and I, I respect uh, a horror game that gives you weapons I, I've, actually, I've said something about this before which is these spate of horror games at the moment where you're not armed uh, have a kind of adverse effect on me where instead of feeling more vulnerable I actually feel more empowered because when you don't have a gun in a game you're sort of implicitly aware that okay I'm never going to have to fight it's like when you get a stealth section Mm -hmm. in a shooter and you know that you don't have to like confront anything you just have to sneak past it because games have to be fair and they can't throw an enemy at you if you're not armed so I feel like your feelings on that might be a little unique then because honestly for Mm. me a big part of horror games and and that you know is the sense of helplessness the fact that you you know how helpless you are like for instance to use the to to use an example the game penumbra you know that was a game where it was like there was such minor combat elements and they were so shoddy that it was like you were so helpless yeah that completely added to my sense of fear with every level so it's interesting that that had kind of an opposite effect for you i think part of the reason why it's interesting that fear did kind of succeed with with the horrors that it's so empowering for the player to have guns you you have everything you need to, to you know that's why in resident evil they made all of your provisions including your ammo so scarce because it was like even as you were empowered mm-hmm. there needed to be limitations on that you needed to have just this element of fear that you could still get in over your head so uh, you know but even as we're talking about fear and the horror elements i also realized that you know at no point in the game was i ever really all that scared Mm. you know it was more of like a horror themed setting it didn't necessarily scare me at any time in at any at any time in the series honestly i think the implication of being underpowered or sort of under duress in fear is kind of arbitrary uh in games like alien isolation and in resident evil um you're underpowered because you physically experience being underpowered you fight an enemy and it is very difficult uh, condemned actually does this really really well where every every fight in is 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 in of itself kind of like a level uh where, yeah. whereas in fear you're told that you're underpowered because you're given this you know little girl ghost who can sort of do anything whatever and it's not like you're experiencing directly a sensation of being underpowered. It's just being explained to you. Oh, you right. can't kill yeah. her. Right. I, I mean, at any given point, you're the most powerful thing right. on the exactly. screen. Ex- exactly. 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 So no, when I agree so when that. she so when she turns up and sort of you know with like a brush of her hand makes all these guys die, I don't feel like oh my god I'm scared of her. It's just it's just arbitrary. It doesn't really you know work. I think that I think that the debate surrounding whether or not you can successfully create a horror game with an armed protagonist is I think it's a little misguided um, 
because yes, there is a tension between creating fear and atmosphere by creating a fear of, or a sense of helplessness and creating these sort of empowering on rails experience that we expect from games. And I think the trick to do that, it's it's not that they're incompatible. It's just you have to do it smartly. And I think the trick to doing it smartly is to create tension in the conflict. Mm. And Ed, you had talked about this. I think Condemned is, I think, the example that does it. Every fight, you're st- like you still have weapons and means to defend yourselves. You're never actually, quote, in danger. But every fight is stressful, for lack of a better word, because there's so much involved with it. Whereas in fear, you just point your... You can slow time down. You can point your gun at somebody and, you know double tap them in the chest and they'll fly across the screen hilariously before they even realize that you're there mm. yeah this is this is one of my key problems with it um and i wish that fear just did away with all of its sort of underlighting and mood and horror because it just feels wrong i'd have i'd enjoy really? that game so much more yeah well, I'd, I'd enjoy the... I, I i think i know how to fix fear honestly in that capacity <laughs> travel back <laughs> in time um <laughs> if i could um so have you guys have any of you played layers of fear yet i i was no. actually just playing that okay so i already own the game you know when it was on early access on steam and on xbox live so i've played a couple of different versions at this point but that's that's a game that it it's one of the best horror games i've played which kind of surprised me i wasn't expecting a lot out of it and it's it relies very heavily on atmospheric cues and actually player cues whatever it is that you do is going to trigger something in the atmosphere in the environment that becomes very unsettling and it slowly chips away at your sanity as as you're playing the game because every little thing that you do is going to result in something else and so you know probably one of my favorite moments of the game is you enter this one room where there's three doors in front of you and as you go to open the doors each one has a brick wall behind it but as you turn your back the doors start to disappear and you only turn slightly, but the game responds immediately to it and changes <coughs> changes something in the environment so that the next time you turn, it's completely different. They do that fake out a lot, along with a, a number of other atmospheric tricks that I think uh, Fear would would greatly benefit from. It's yeah. it's one of the better it's one of the better, better horror tricks I've ever seen, honestly. And they utilize it so. Oh, I used utilize. Shit! No, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they use it so well. They use it so well. And I think something like Fear would uh, benefit from it greatly. Because if you're going to restrict these horror moments to those in-between passages, you know, you, you could do it better than they did. I mean, what happens? You go down a corridor, you see some blood dripping towards the ceiling instead of the floor. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, they could... They could. I mean, it's a first-person shooter. You see blood so often. You <laughs> I know, right? Oh, it's going towards the ceiling. Freaked me out already. Yeah. But... No... <laughs> That's a good point. Um, that idea that you can just kind of pull the rug out from under the player, and you know, if you take for granted that the environment that you're in is the environment that you're in, and games can I'm, change that on the fly if if that's the intent. Uh, I mean, how uns- I mean, it's how unsettling is it to turn the player into the unreliable narrator? You know, yeah, like, that's it, uh, fascinating to me. It's a great trick, and I think that's actually like a pretty new and novel thing in 2016 to to do that have, have um have any of you played the game which like w-h-i-c-h no, no i don't no. think so um it's a really short game from a few years ago and I, I know that we're kind of getting derailed and i know that we don't want to talk about horror so much as we want to talk about fear necessarily but which is really interesting because the whole premise of the game is you're wandering around a house and it's first person perspective 
and there's this mannequin that kind of like the Doctor Who villains will follow you, but only when you're not looking. Wait, I have played um, this, I think, or a game that yeah. does that with mannequins. So, Con- yeah. Condemned so you... 2 does it as well. Oof, that's terrifying. Mm. Um, and I think, again, just the whole idea of playing off of changing player expectations, and you kind of have to turn, like, if you're making horror in 2016, the year of our Lord, you kind of have to turn the game design aspect of it into a metagame, because you kind of have to play with player expectations, because we've seen everything else. Yeah, but there there is one thing I'll say for fear, and... You know, the idea of saying that maybe the game would be better if it was just sort of a straightforward uh, shooter, like you were just, you know, you're fighting uh, other military guys for the most part anyway. Um, But Mm -hmm. I have a great affection for games that are sort of spooky. I'll say they're spooky in atmosphere, but they're not scary. You know, that have this kind of like Halloween decoration to them, um, where that's just... Sorry? Oh, I was just like totally. <laughs> oh yeah. Like <laughs> Sorry you stopped for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's it's like um uh stuff like, you know, Resident Evil 4, I think, you know, which we did an episode on. I think is a great game. I don't think it's it's hardly ever actually scary, but it has this it's just its aesthetic is, you know, uh, autumn leaves and spooky ghosts and and that sort of thing and I, I think that's a fine thing to have I I think there's there's value in uh, horror that isn't necessarily aimed at terrifying you that just wants to give you that kind of feeling you know see I I, I agree with you to an extent and rather than maybe strip the horror out of fear entirely I think that there's um, a change that I've made to the story because the opening cutscene of Fear I really like because you've got that guy and he sort of murders someone and then he bends down and starts eating them and that's really fucking great and really strong uh, but then the game becomes this kind of ethereal crap about ghosts and spirits and government programs and that's when it loses me if if the horror of Fear was you're trying to chase down this like fucked up cannibal warlord that would be really strong. I think that's a really strong and strange story. But when they, you know, when it gets all like hallucinatory, um, and oh, he may or may not be the son of this girl who's in a coma from a secret government, blah blah. See, I have to, I, I have to protest. Me. I have to protest. It gets better. It really does. Like Fear Two was great. Fear Three devolved way too much into the FPS conventions that we're used to these days, and I felt that really detracted from the sense of atmosphere that made Fear work. But it does, to me, it does get a lot better as they start to dive into Alma's story and the entire program that the brothers are subjected to. I mean, I thought it was a crowning moment in Fear Three when the brothers came together and that became an option to work together or for you to split apart. Um, I thought, I, I don't know, I loved it. I, I kind of, I mean, I know that like creepy little girl and government experiments are totally cliche, but I, I don't know. Maybe it was because I experienced it at a time when it wasn't as cliche. I don't know. Yeah, I. I mean, I did. I have played uh, the other two Fear games. I don't remember them super well, but uh, I, I do think Holly's right in that. I remember Fear Two, especially, actually, the, kind of having a better payoff with uh, kind of developing what happens in this game better. But I think in this one, in in just Fear One itself, I think it it doesn't amount to much. 
I mean, if you ask me, mm. Fear, Fear 2 is probably the best in the series. Yeah. I, I like it the best. Yeah, just in terms of pacing and convention and what they were trying to pull off, um, I think it was great. It, it's really sad that Fear 3 kind of cheapened the atmosphere by going with so many well-established FPS conventions at that point. It felt too much like they were trying to be other games. Mm. And and that, that was hard for me, especially because, like, they would do this thing where at the end of levels they would tally up your score and like determine if you were more like the evil brother or the kind of <laughs> or if you're kind of like more like the good brother and it was just oh, like no. this is just no they buzzfeed yeah you. it was really it, it was really just no it was just no that's all i can really say just no don't do don't does, do that does anybody know if fear was designed as a trilogy from the start oh i don't know no because fear one the game i guess that we're talking about that we just played is <laughs> very much a first act mm. um and it's kind of hard to look at that game after having played it and think that that was designed as a self it wasn't they left it open-ended on because purpose. it's well it's well, what i mean is it's a 10-hour game um your primary objective which is to you know catch and eliminate paxton fettle um that they give you in the prologue they drag out for the entire rest of the game there are no other beats yeah um and then right at the end, like in the last maybe hour, hour and a half, like, oh, by the way, while you've been trudging around through corridors, um, here, just have all, literally all of the exposition right now, I guess. Yeah, I think that's the main issue with a lot of where this game falls down is the plot. It does feel like it's, you could probably get a good four hour story out of this in the shooter, but it's... You know, they keep finding new reasons to have you going to another warehouse, and it's... yeah, like I, I, I kept assuming that you were going to kill Paxton Fettle within like the first maybe couple of hours, it and moves then on. the next sort of story beat would would evolve out of that. But that no, you have happen. to wait till the next game, which I mean, I did. No, you kill you you kill him at the end of Fear One, um, but he doesn't actually. actually a but really... he doesn't actually die. The... Spoilers, God, <laughs> I didn't even know that. You'll live. There is actually a really cool moment where after you kill him, um, because all of the soldiers that you're fighting are replica soldiers, and he's like their psychic commander, um, and there is this really cool moment where after you kill him, you encounter a squad of soldiers, and they're all just kind of like slumped over like battle droids at the end of The Phantom Menace. Mm. Another great first part in the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very see, poorly planned the, out comparison. The fact that you kill him and he's not dead... Uh, that to me that sort of cliche as soon as you eliminate death from a story i that i tune out you know yeah. if they come back as if they come back as a clone or they come back as like a computer program or they come back and they're reincarnated as soon as you get rid of the fact that people can die i just feel like oh, i don't care because just all the fucking stakes drop out of it and i that's fair i, I think that's fair. I, I just found Fear's writing and its horror and even the stuff about Alma and her backstory, I, I find it all just really sort of rote and, and weak and uninteresting. And I don't know, there's just... Also, it, it, it bears mentioning that the story literally revolves around the forced rape of a child. I just want to throw that out there. Mm. Yeah, it does. Does that come up in this one? Well... Holly, Fear Scholar? Yeah. Uh, excuse me, if I'm any game scholar it's fallout scholar thank you okay sorry no um <laughs> i'm just teasing i'm teasing you have, you have a double no, major I'm teasing. <laughs> a double major i'm teasing i'm sorry <laughs> um uh you know it's it's hard for me to hear the word rape attached to what happened to alma 
in the sense that the game never makes it explicit that that's exactly what occurred, rather that it was... They, they, do, they do, in fact, say forced impregnation. Forced impregnation, thank you, because of the results of the experiment. And um, later, later information reveals that the DNA is her father's DNA. Um, so, so to me, the difference between forcible impregnation and rape is, is very important in the context of this story. Um, I, I understand that some people might not think that the distinction really matters, but I, I feel it's worth pointing out that that's not... Um, yeah, I mean, I do think it's one of those things where people will have different mileage based on their experience. Right. And it's already a difficult thing to talk about. So I'm Right. Gonna... I, you know, and honestly, it's not that yeah. I'm trying to excuse anything. I would think forcible impregnation in the hands of, in the context of Alma's experience would almost be more, even more of a violation, you know, that her huge conflict, her anger was over the fact that her father treated her so inhumanely that she was but a tool in an experiment. And it's like, that's the height of objectification. That's the height of dehumanization right there. So, well, yeah. so you know, I, not at all, making that distinction, distinction is not at all, you know, trying to diminish the reality of what's happened to this character. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess that's why I'm so drawn to the story at all, because, you know, uh, power fantasies as a woman, they're very hard to come by. And this is one where she... I guess why I was drawn to it is not only does she kind of get her revenge, she is angry as fuck, right? Yeah, she but is. But also, it's like she was 15 years old when she had her first baby, and it was under the worst possible conditions. But something about the fact that she still wanted her babies was so endearing to me. Even though even though I know that that kind of categorization could be problematic, um, there was still something about that that endeared her to me that was just you know this poor girl fucking and even after all of that she still wanted her babies and you took them away from her and i guess i was just rooting for her at the end of the day her psychic murder babies yeah, yeah i mean she still wanted those babies and maybe a little bit of that was motivated by revenge because she could use those kids to then you know cause all of this destruction but the thing she was mad because she still wanted her babies and it was very humanizing in that sense it was like yeah, it, even as stigmatizing as it can be to have those characterizations, it was very humanizing for me. And revenge fantasies, like I said, as a woman, they're hard to come by. I was always rooting for Alma, hmm. you know, which is terrible. It's terrible to root for Alma. She's going to kill everybody. But Well, not necessarily. You know. I mean, I feel I feel <laughs> stupid because, you know, I don't remember enough of these stories to <laughs> to remember the fine points of them. But if if you're rooting for... Uh, a character like that to have revenge then that's actually kind of uh, an interesting way to do a horror story where you're you're saying well she should you know make everyone pay because yeah. you, can, you can see it's the, one of the most you know an awful 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 thing to do to and, anyone and or know, character sorry and I don't know if this I don't know if this adds any perspective to it at all but um, over the course of the three games over from the little clues that I was picking up atmospherically, um, it turns out the series actually takes place in the greater Seattle area where I'm where I'm from. And so hmm. that totally adds, like, to all of it, right? Like, it's just, um, oh, wow, that took place in the neighborhood, like, one mile south of mine. That's absolutely horrifying. And so <laughs> I have, like... Here's where we find out that fear is just, like, Holly's subconscious that manifested in the video game. And I'm gonna kill you all. No, just kidding. <laughs> but no, that part was actually a little bit endearing as well. That Monolith is um, 
you know, the studio was located kind of out in the Kirkland area, and you, you could see touches of that throughout all three games, just kind of hinting that the location was Seattle. And I admit that that contributes to my attachment a little bit. I mean, oh, it always does. When it, yeah, any, anything I mean, that takes place like near your home or in your home city always <coughs> always becomes more endearing. I think. Right. Even even if even as it's totally horrifying. I mean, the Seattle that they presented was like a post-apocalyptic. You know, the city has been half flooded, kind of a thing. Starbucks and Mount was Ra- never started. Mount Rainier had blown again. You know, all kinds of stuff. But uh, no Starbucks. God, yeah. Reed. Ugh. I thought this game wasn't supposed to be scary. <laughs> I hope Nirvana made it. You're disgusting. You're all disgusting. Starbucks is disgusting. <laughs> You're all disgusting. <laughs> um, the stuff. The stuff about her rape or forced impregnation or however the game terms it. Um, <laughs> this makes me sound like a horrible man. But I just, I don't know, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it as, uh, it, it's like not impactful to me. Because it just it just feels like one of these things that video game writers often do where they just kind of like tokenistically throw in this terrifying buzzword, rape, incest. See, to a certain extent, I would almost agree with you, except for the fact that Alma's rage is felt so deeply. See, I, I, I don't know, I just... I'm talking only about the first game, right? So I, I, yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'm, you know, I've not got, I've not got the full picture. But yeah. um, Monolith did this in Condemned, where they just kind of like, oh, these guys are on drugs. They're on drugs. And it's like you know, you're meant to be terrified and it's meant to be a big sort of oh, social commentary there on drugs. And that's, from what you're describing, that's that's the impression I get here, where it's not... I don't know, it doesn't feel very sincere. Well, and it, it's all, it also seems like the only real characterization that she gets in this game. Yeah. The only really thing, or really the only thing you find out about Alma is you just hear a litany of things that she has had done to her. Mm. Um, and then you see her murder a couple of people, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I really feel that in the context of the second and third games that the autonomy that she gains in terms of the story's narrative, how much she dominates that, how much it's so very much about her and her pain and her power, it's hard for me to get on board with that. It really is. Like, I, I feel like... And see, the thing is, is I'm very sensitive to the use of rape as just this throwaway shock value kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But mm. but the thing is, is if they had if they had disregarded it, in the first game, you know, I, I will agree with you guys. In the context of the first game, it's her presence and her anger and pain and her motivations are not as predominant as they are in the second and third games. By the third game, she's directly controlling her sons to, to create enormous destruction. And she's got an agenda and she is so close to, so close to pulling it off um the tremendous power that she shows in the next several games as a result of her rage is it's just so hard for me to get on board with this idea that she's this a uh, marginalized castaway kind of rape victim i she's she's not i mean everything about the game is centered around her anger over what happened and it becomes this very metaphorically powerful force and i i'm in awe of it honestly so it's just it's just really hard for me to get on just, board. All I'm, all I'm saying is what I've seen of the first game that all seems like retconning to me. Like they they developed that narrative. After well, the um, fact. I can't I can't say that. Which, I agree. Is, which, which is agree. which is why I was wondering if anyone knew if it was a trilogy from the start. Mm. Because if that were the case, that would make more sense. But if they just made this game and 
were like, okay, well, this actually did pretty well, so I guess we'll make another one. Like, that, that seems like a really odd kind of narrative pace to take for something like this. At the same know. time, everything grows. Everything evolves and it develops as it goes along. I mean, everything's raw when it first starts out. It's I don't think it's necessarily dishonest for them to have developed more depth as time went on. Also, this is unrelated, but it kind of ties in and it's an amusing anecdote, so I figured I would share. I have a friend who went to film school, and she said that her screenwriting professor made an edict at the beginning of the year. He said, anybody who submits a film or a script that features where, where a woman is either subjected to or has to view sexual violence will automatically fail. Hmm. Um, and he said that he'd been a professor for 20 years, and in that in that two decade time, the only time he'd ever had to enact that was with male screenwriters. Women just never did it, mm. which is not at all relevant to what we're talking about, but it ties in tangentially, well, I, so I wanted I, to share. I, I think that, yeah, there's, this is one of those comments that from a certain audience would engender the response, well, why are you writing about games then? But I, I find it difficult to take seriously or be sort of, um, I don't know, affected by like a, a rape story when it's through the filter of the kind of game that fear is, which is blood and guts and monsters and shooting and stuff. Like I, I, I feel like I can give it some gravitas after the fact, maybe by straining, but I, I just don't buy it at all as like a. Well. A, a, but that's me. I mean. I mean, I respect your your experience and and your perspective, but speaking as someone who has been a victim of sexual assault and as a woman it is very empowering to watch a revenge fantasy fold out as empowered as Alma's over the course of the three games. Oh, oh no, I believe it. I just, it really is. I, it's, I, I get that not everyone's going to feel the same way, but you know, I, it no, it didn't ring as false to me, you know. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think I, I was thinking this before too, I think it's hard to talk about this game uh Without thinking about where it goes, um, yeah, because yeah. so much. Yeah, I mean, because the I mean, the second one ends in a very violent rape scene, which is and it's and rape is rape is all over this game. It's I mean, honestly, it's, <laughs> well, it's, it it's is hor- though. It's it is horrifying, and I think it becomes the games become nightmarish in a way that this one isn't. Um, as it goes on, you have sort of the whole world is kind of engulfed in this uh, horror. Uh, I don't know how to describe it best, but you know, in the in the second game, this game ends with you kind of coming out into the city and, and seeing that, you know, Alma's fury has, you know, destroyed the city. Uh, and Holly, you can correct me if I'm wrong because you remember these plots better. But I think the second one all kind of takes place in the kind of greater Seattle area, and, and sky's red, and everything's just yep. awful. And so I think yep. it's true what you're saying about. Um, about how you can't I don't know if you can excuse what this game does wrong by saying it's the first part of a larger story but I think mm. it's it's easier to cut this one some slack when you see where it goes yeah I, I mean I agree with you totally because there's so many mm. things that we experience only in a partialized context and just because we don't get the greater picture doesn't mean it doesn't have an impact on us mm-hmm. and other people Yeah. so totally with you on that it's a Totally with you on that. Yeah, and then, you know, bringing, bringing the its use of sexual assault in this game versus a, as a series of games, it's messy to 
I don't know. It's hard. It is messy. I guess the reason it, it didn't feel... See, and I'm the type of person, I'm very sensitive to that kind of stuff because, you know, I'm of the opinion that the reason why rape and sexual assault are depicted against women so often in entertainment is because the creators have some issues they got to work out. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, 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 <laughs> that is my opinion. That is my opinion. I, I think a lot of creators take a delight in the pain and the suffering that mm-hmm. they put their female characters through. And so I'm very resentful of that. Right. So mm-hmm. I get so for it to not rub me the wrong way, I think is just one hundred percent due to the fact that Alma is such a powerful, autonomous character whose wrath and anger is capable of such destruction and for any woman who's felt that frustration who felt that the rage inside of them was so strong it could manifest physically and i mean look here, here's an innocuous example um uh the book matilda or or a more contemporary uh, historical example as well uh you know common stories of women as witches there, there's these power fantasies where anger mm-hmm. and repression and all these things rise to actual physical powers. And it's it's a power fantasy that we have because we feel so helpless. And so, mm. what you know, whatever happened to Alma, I just don't feel like it's cheap because in the end it was this powerful motivator for her and she had amazing power just to wipe out everybody, you know. And, yeah. it, and at, at least as, an, as a metaphor for that anger that you feel. I love her. I do. I I can't help it. As evil as well, she that, is, you know. It, well, that that's the thing. I mean, if, if it doesn't come across as false to you, and if it if it you know if it is evocative in that sense, then yeah, absolutely, of course. Um, and I think that that stuff about game makers, especially male game, well, male game makers and game makers are pretty much synonymous. It's kind of redundant. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but the the idea of them sort of basking in the suffering of female characters is just fucking a hundred percent there. I mean, you look at fucking Tomb Raider, which is oh, just God. which is just ten hours of we can't accept this woman as the same as men until she's been fucking beaten up and raped nearly and now, see, thrown I, around. See, I wrote about see, it's, I wrote it's, about it's, that. It's, too, it's the video actually. game equivalent of so I can hit women too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, See now, having spent time with the creative director Noah Hughes on, uh, you know, uh, Tomb Raider, um, and having spoken to members of the team and just contextualized that for, for myself, I'm I'm a little mixed on that in the sense that I always felt that it wasn't a negative thing to provide emotional context to someone's um, outer tough shell because I don't think emotion is a bad thing and I don't, I. I don't. I don't want to feel like it's a negative or or bad thing to explore someone's more tender side. And I felt like a lot of the people who had a direct hand in creating the new Tomb Raider that that's how they felt. They were coming from a place, even the male creators, that they were coming from a place where they were identifying with her as a person and sharing their experiences through her, rather than trying to set up this vulnerable heroine kind of thing. Um, and I get everyone's interpretations about that are also going to be different. Um, I also took the team to task for the fact that they still do kind of the sweeping camera shots down the shirt kind of a thing that kind of just cheapen the entire effect that they're trying to go for humanizing this character. Mm-hmm. So I, it's a it's a that's a loaded character and a loaded situation right there. But you know, yeah, yeah, we kind of. I'm throwing water on all of this. I'm sorry, guys. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I I I think that that's. That's true. I, I well, like I for instance, for instance, just as an example, like for instance, um, people criticize the fact that in the game, 
uh, Laura, when, when she goes to skin an animal, she kind of winces and it's this very gross experience for her. And they thought that was stigmatizing, that characterization. But when I spoke to Noah Hughes, you know, the creative director, he was like, that is something I suggested and put into the game because my first experience with hunting was that right there. And it was like, he didn't, they didn't do that because they thought that's how a woman react. They did that because they thought that's how people react. They also did that in Far Cry Three. They uh, did do that, and every but, t- and every time he goes to like pull a bullet out of his arm or wrap himself up, yeah, you're right. That's but... no, I've, I've no problem with them giving Lara sort of emotional couple of beats or or making her sort of have these personable moments of vulnerability. The, the problem I have with Tomb Raider is that it's a game that fucking delights in physically beating her up. And um, I think the implication there is, you know, you, you, you start playing Uncharted or the Myriad games with male protagonists and they don't need any of that. You just take him as Red. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy, so he's our action hero. Whereas Tomb Raider, it's all about, she can't be the Tomb Raider. She can't be Lara Croft until she's proven herself to be valid. This woman has to prove us, her, herself to our audience that she can take a beating before we'll accept her as Tomb Raider. And I think that that's a really... I know it's, it's vulgar precedent. It's, uh, on the flip side, it's really easy to also contextualize that as, "Wow, do you see the fucking beating she's taken? This chick is tough as shit." Like respect, you know. Like I think there's, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes it's about perspective. I, not. I love your optimism. <sighs> it's it's such a lovely foil to just our hardened son of a bitch cynicism. I mean, I I don't know. I think they take it a little too easy on Nathan Drake. You know, like. <laughs> Like, let's be real. Let's be real about what that shit actually is, you know? These super masculine power fantasies, self-insert bullshit. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. and then then you totally dove away from all the bullets and you didn't take any damage. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. You know. And you mentioned identifying with the character, and I think that's a huge part of it. Um, It's very easy for male gamers to identify with male characters, obviously. Um... But, I mean, it's taken however long video games have been around to get people to even agree to put female protagonists in mainstream games. So, when they do, it's going to be very tentative, and it's going to be like, alright guys, I mean, she is exactly like everyone else, and we're going to prove it to you. See how many punches to the face she can take. I mean, I recognize I might be too optimistic, but I'm the last person to want to make excuses for anybody's sh- oh, shitty sure, yeah. character design. I mean, I'm the last person to do that. It's just... You know, I don't want to be too cynical because, you there's, know, it's... There's definitely a, a Roland Barthes element to it, I think, as well, where the author has very clearly died and we're just kind of projecting our own interpretations onto it. Well, yeah, but that's... I don't know, I'd say that was read. The author is, is dead. Anyway. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's really, um, it's really hard to summarize and attribute an entire ideology and motivation to a huge group of people creating one thing. And I will say that... You know, Lara Croft is a character very much loved, very, very much loved by the development team behind her. And so far, they've been open to the criticism that I've offered and how they've treated the character. So, at least there's that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there's there's nothing wrong with. Uh, I I'm I love when these episodes when we have different viewpoints and it gets messy and everyone has a conflicting opinion because I think that's where we get some of our most interesting ideas, you know? Uh, uh, we, we have been blown off course to return to this awkward ship metaphor. 
So I'm going to grab the wheel as your rear admiral and <coughs> throw a hard west back towards Fia. Uh, I'm going to throw to Holly on this one, uh, ignoring now for the for the time being the sort of horror element. Uh, how do you feel about the sort of shooting side of Fia, the just sort of moment to moment act of aiming and killing? You know, there are a lot of games that I have complaints about in terms of the mechanics of being a first-person shooter. Generally, they boil down to what is disrupting the flow of action, and most often that has to do with um, menu and user interface issues. You know, uh, fear is very simplified in that sense. So if you're looking for something mindless and you just want to shoot things and it's in this com this environment that's not your typical military or what have you kind of setting that you get so often with FPS... You know, Fear's a great game. First one's a bit primitive, but as a as a shooter, I've always I'm still really pleased with it. It the rest of the game doesn't necessarily hold up, but that part still does, in that it's very efficient and streamlined, and not a, no must no fuss. You know, just get mm -hmm. in and just get in and start shooting, and that's what I like about mm -hmm. it. So, final Patrick. verdict. <laughs> um, I again, I think this is where you have to take fears sort of context into account because it is an old school style shooter made by an old school style shooter development team at a time when old school style shooters didn't really exist anymore um i do think the shooting feels really nice i got i mean i know i keep coming back to it but the fucking ragdoll just blows me away like i don't understand where that's coming from not that i think it's a bad thing it's just a really bizarre way to handle that um the slow-mo I was a little wary of because normally when developers make a point to put a capital T thing like that in their game, they either they run into one of two problems. They either create situations that try and force you to use it or where not using that sort of mechanic would make the game unplayable, or they just completely abandon it and it might as well just not be there. Um, and weirdly enough, I didn't really get either of those when I was mm -hmm. playing through Fear, which was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I I think they, I think the slow mo is cool because it's uh, yeah, there aren't any areas where you know five enemies rush you at the exact same time and the game saying here use your slow mo. It's it's kind of a neat mm -hmm. uh, balance between if you try not to use your slow motion or it's run out because uh, it has a little meter that fills up over time. Um, it's very much like kind of an old school, you know, run and gun kind of approach. You 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 mm -hmm. can't really yep. stay in one place for too long. The enemies are smart enough that they're going to keep coming toward you in different ways. Uh, and so the slow mo is almost like it's like what Holly was saying before about how it's a simulation of having fantastic shooter reflexes, um, which I don't always have for these older games. Uh, well, sorry, sorry, just to butt in, I'll. Stopping it, but it is literally that because they tell you that your character yeah. has amazing reflexes. That's like his sort of right. superpower. So that's literally it's yeah, it's like a Max Payne type thing where you're experiencing mm. how awesome he is at shooting people. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, but I don't know. I th I think it jives well with with uh, the design of the game. I think you could probably play it without and then kind of beat your chest and say you're fantastic at shooters, but. Yeah true hardcore fear yeah I, I found it it's it's almost a nice little uh way of kind of letting you change your difficulty on the fly and i like that a lot mm. 
that's a really nice way of putting it. I think that's true. I think there's a lot of the gunfights in fear. Uh, and I love the gunfights in fear, actually. One thing I was going to say, uh, on top of really great sound effects, a mark of a good shooter for me is just like if it's got one or two just really great individual gunfights. Like Max Payne 3 is just one fucking amazing gunfight sequence mm-hmm. after another, and everything else just, you can kind of almost just forget it because the, the, the fights themselves are just brilliant. And Fear has that as well. There is these really great sections in kind of. Um, you know, like office complexes where walls are flying up in the air and like loose paper and people are smashing in and it's loud and it's messy mm-hmm. and you have these really great gunfights. And I actually like playing the game without the slow motion because you get that sense more. It becomes this like quicker, messier, firing into the air kind of shooter. But yes, really, you're right. Because um, I also like the option of... You know what? I like games where basically... This is, this is a weird thing to say. I like games where you don't die. I find dying not sort of part of like a mechanical or ludic challenge i find dying just a bit frustrating and it is it's a stumbling it's block. A, yeah. it's a stumbling block and i think fear kind of walks this really nice line of never feeling sort of too easy and too straightforward but also you never really die you don't have to restart a lot um and that's because of that sort of very organic or adjustable difficulty that you get with the slow mm-hmm. um I think that there's a lot of games with slow motion, Stranglehold, Max Payne definitely, as much as I love it, where they border on sort of unplayable and unwinnable if you're not using the slow motion, you have to have it. Whereas Fear, it, it feels like a nice sort of add-on. Um, yeah, I think that's a really nice sort of balance that they strike there. Um, uh, just not to let it go while I still remember, but when you're saying sound effects, uh, this game has one of the best shotguns. It, it, I think it, it goes on the bullet points wall of honorable mentions for shotguns in shooting games i feel really bad now that i never i, I feel like i didn't pick up on that even though oh, i really? really keyed into audio you know usually audio is a big thing for me just because i'm very keenly aware of how much it adds to the experience and so i feel kind of stupid that i didn't pick up on how good it was for i'll have to i feel like i should play it again to listen no to at, it, at first know, i thought you were gonna affected you. at first i thought you were gonna say you didn't use the shotgun hmm I actually didn't. I didn't either. Um, I I I use the assault rifle primarily, which I know is like cardinal sin number one. Um, but another gun that I really like, Reed, that follows along this sort of same pattern is. <laughs> I mean, a giggle, but it, the the. Oh yeah, the... yeah. They have a gun similar to that in Painkiller as well. It just fires giant fucking phalluses that pin people to walls and it's fantastic i love it in, i love in fear when you can go and look and they're all sort of stuck in them well and... yeah that's uh when patrick is talking about the ragdoll i think that's one of the funniest things about fear uh that does take away from when it has sort of an unnerving atmosphere is uh and i, I kept taking screenshots of these guys who are kind of pinned it's grotesque, but whatever. They're video game characters, but they're pinned by like you know their throat or one hand, and yeah. they're hanging off a wall, and they look like they're waving hi to you. And it's, it's uh, so I, weird. I, I I really love the ragdolls in this game. I know they're a bit sort of not necessarily deliberate, but if you watch um, kind of uh, like gun fu movies, you know, like John Woo and films like The Killer, right. and um, oh, I'm trying to give another one, but. Um, there's another one with Chow Young Fat, I can't remember what it's called now. Something like Full Contact. Or bulletproof something. Monk? No, yeah, the great <laughs> Bulletproof Monk. No, I think it's Full Contact. And in Full Contact, when somebody gets shot, they like fly away. You know? Right. Um, 
and I, I love that in this game. The shotgun, if you hit slow motion and like bang, someone right in the chest with a shotgun right in front of you, they fly back in slow-mo and blood and it looks just great and it's so satisfying and yeah, I, I really respect a shooting game that's just sort of not timid in that regard. And it's um, fun it's funny as we're having this conversation, I'm realizing that I prefer you know the assault rifle or i can't remember if there's an smg but i feel like there yeah, is yeah there is but there is and it, and it sounds like a fucking lawn regardless right. point point being that i think i feel more empowered as a character i feel safer if i have a rapid fire weapon like that i think even though the spray of the shotgun is really great i think i'm just like no i need something that's just pumping you know multiple bullets per second into my opponent <laughs> or i don't feel like i'm you know or i don't feel safe <laughs> see I, I really like the pistol in this game the pistol sounds great as well in fear and it, it, it's really um it's really strong it's, it doesn't feel like a sort of base weapon as it does in most games I right think you can use the, the handgun or, or handguns because you can pick up a second one for, for quite a yeah, lot yeah there's of something super satisfying about wielding Hell, two yeah. handguns in the video dual yeah, wielding. Really no, 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 no. dual wielding is always awesome Period. Which I think may also be a throwback to Monolith's older games, because Blood was one of the first games that let you dual wield guns. Yeah. Just being well, when you have there, two but... pistols in slow mo in a game, just like you do at the beginning of Max Payne, it's also a real uh, strong tip of the hat that they like the old Hong Kong John Woo Chow Yun Fat movies. Yep. Mm -hmm. That they love mm -hmm. when a guy's yep. jumping across in slow mo, firing two pistols. Yeah. One thing I will say, I know we've talked about like weapon and enemy progression in games and how a lot of games will kind of drop that ball in the third act. Um, Fear has a really, really awesome end-of-game weapon lineup. Um, a lot of the guns that you find in the latter half of the game, and then conversely the situations that they give you in which to use them, are just amazing. Like the... Um, I know, Ed, you particularly have this sort of... Uh, a hate on for like wonky sort of zany novelty guns but fear is kind of like particle cannon thing mm. oh man i'm just doing like the chef's kiss right now <laughs> um, or the uh my other favorite one was the the auto cannon which is like exactly what it sounds like just a giant handheld cannon that fires what must be like an entire shotgun's complement of shells into a person yeah oh it's beautiful see, beautiful see, I, I don't i don't need nothing fancy like that myself I don't need anything fancy. Just hook me up with that SMG. I mean, you don't need to eat flavor. <laughs> you might be okay with, with eating just regular steak, but that doesn't mean if someone offers it to you, you're going to say no. No, the flavor you want is that shotgun. Just, you know, I, fairness. I agree. Fairness. I'm, I'm with Reed on that Gorgeous. one. Gorgeous. It's, it's a unique part of video game design that, you know, like it or not, there are a lot of violent video games with guns. And if you're going to be part of this, and you're going to have guns, you got to make a nice shotgun. See, I used to have this metric where when I was a kid, sort of eight, nine years old, and I'd be taken to the video shop to go and rent a game, I wouldn't rent it unless it had a shotgun in it. It was, it had to have a shotgun. That's actually a really great metric that I really like. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I will put this out there. Uh, obviously, I'm the world's biggest Fallout fan. Um... The first thing I always reach for at the, as early as possible in the games is to a combat shotgun specifically. Oh, of course. No, no, no. no. I course. mean, the thing is, is you can be a level five, and if you have a combat shotgun, you can run up on a super mutant and blow his head off 
I mean, just real super early in the game. So, yeah. you know, it's not like I don't have my personal shotgun moments. <laughs> that yeah. that being my favorite, but yeah. <laughs> well, I really want to go through a bunch of journal articles and whatnot and see if there's something inherent to the human condition that makes us really into shotguns. See, I'm, I'm thinking now, should we round this episode off with a discussion on best gaming shotguns? I think it's inevitable. Well, it's yeah, it's been happening. I like to think that bullet points is is uh, an evolving. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a compilation, slow, gradual compilation of the best video game shotguns, and you know there are just gonna be hundreds of hours left on the cutting room floor at the end. I'll tell you what's got a really bad shotgun is Call of Duty. That is really something. Yeah, you never you never want to use those in it. It's not fun. No, that you never have to, which is why it's not very good. They're really puny. Red Dead Redemption's double barrel shotgun is fantastic. That's really fucking horrible. That gun, it's brilliant. What are we doing here anymore? I'm sorry. I'm just looking. I'm, I'm actually just staring at my shelf now. <laughs> Don't. That's got all. It's got all the games on it. I'm just trying to think what's got a good shotgun. You know what has a good shotgun? I'm actually, uh, Borderlands Two has a great shotgun. They've got shotguns. There's one that is a rare drop from the final boss that shoots off explosive grenades and it is freaking awesome it's a grenade shotgun and i freaking love it ah ah borderlands it's a little inane but as a shooter there are things i like very much about it (laughs) yeah that's a that's a good we'll probably talk about that yeah it's especially nice when you get to dual wield combat shotguns in borderlands if you're using the dual wielder class, I can't remember his name, but oh, love it. And obviously there's that shotgun in that game that Patrick and Reed, you like lots. What's that game called? It's the seat. I was just gonna say I can't wait until we do a Doom episode. Oh so that's that's the game. Spend an hour just gushing all over the super shotgun because it's one of the best video game weapons. Yeah, Doom ever Two used. is Correct. almost completely unnecessary except for the super shotgun. The super shotgun. It does feel like that was the central <laughs> kind of pillar around which they, they developed. Said, Let's the just game. release this. Let's just whip up some not as good levels and release this. Um. Okay, well, you know what? Let's let's. I could I could actually just talk about shot. Fucking Resident Evil Four has a great shotgun as well, and The Last of Us has a great shotgun. That's true. But 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 let's let's go on fear for one last point, and I want to sort of talk about this. Or rather, question about this. Um, I'm interested in what people think about the game's sort of visual palette of greys and darks and sort of torchlight. Uh, is it, I don't know, interesting? Is it bland? Read? Um, I don't know. It's it. I think the game is too long in general, and it mm. it exhausts its uh, its ideas over time just by seeming like it, it doesn't have enough to cross over all that distance but I think it works fine I think there's there's something to the best parts of that game are when you're kind of stuck in an office building for uh, you know, a few hours of play and it's all just kind of dim and I don't know I like it I, I think it works well enough it's not very exciting to look at but you know there's not a lot exciting going on in that game when you're not in gunfights so it's kind of a wishy-washy answer, but there you go. No, no, I think that's, that's spot on, Patrick. Um, 
it's it's boring and bland, like period. Mm. Um, it's there's no real nice way to say it, which is fine, I guess, because I mean, when you're looking at a game like this that's trying to wear different hats, I think it's important to kind of try and ask yourself what its objective is. And I, I think the fact that I never really noticed that the graphics were, for lack of a better word, bad, um, means that everything else that it was doing, it was doing well enough that I didn't care. Yeah. Uh, Holly, what do you think? Well, when I originally played the game, um, the atmosphere didn't bother me at all, but returning to it for the sake of the podcast, I was really disappointed. I think at this point, I think I've become a little uh, spoiled by what first-person shooters are capable of these days with the capacity and hardware that they have on, on consoles and PC, because... You know, while I do think that the office the office atmosphere is kind of enhanced by the repetition of of the elements like the couches and the magazines and the tables and everything that's out there, you know, it's, the assets are very very limited. While that contributes to the monotony of of an office, you know, and cubicle space and those sort of things, um, it, it's still just really disappointing. And and you know. Uh, I'm not sure I will return to the first one. I can see myself playing the second one, but at this point, the lack of variety is just, you know, like like someone else said, the game goes on a little bit too long, <clears throat> and when you don't have something to break up the monotony, you know, visually, it's really hard to hang in there. So I think that's where I am with it now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another another note that I made that I wanted to make sure to mention since we're talking about visuals is the game does this really fucking obnoxious thing where it gives you um, like boosters to your health and reflexes that you can pick up and they each glow a different color. The health boosters glow blue and the reflex boosters both glow green um, and they're scattered throughout and you just kind of have to find them. Um, but they also, there's a lot of kind of extrania and random um, paraphernalia that you'll find just like set dressing um, that will also have the exact same color that I have to believe they did just to kind of <laughs> fuck with people. Mm. When you're scanning a room and you're like, oh, out of the corner of your eye, you see that kind of blue. You run over there. Oh, it's just a, yeah, that's a true, actually. And I, and I think that it's a real dick move because that accomplishes nothing except slowing down the pace of the game, which was already so slow. Mm. <laughs> you see, pacing is something that I've, I think we're struggling with still here. And if you play Nolan's Forever, it's it's the main problem. Because that game can be fucking glacial at times. Um, yeah. Yeah, fear has a problem with that. Um, you see, I think visually, Condemned feels in a lot of places like the game Fear was trying to be. Um, I think that the environments in Condemned could easily be sort of transplanted into Fear and would work there just as well. I feel like they sort of grabbed the horror bull by the horns but condemned a little bit more um, and in places maybe also did the shooting better even though it's not as often I don't know I feel like condemned is a an interesting sort of companion piece to fear because um, it feels like they sort of jump into it with both feet a little bit more I don't know maybe I'm wrong there. well maybe we'll do fear I mean condemned yeah I'd like to do both of them really because they're both great even though the second one goes really bad sort of halfway through but the, the first one's terrific um, yeah I, I think Monolith has got a sort of consistently good track record I think that they're, they're one of my sort of preferred AAA developers I'm always interested in what they put out um, 
Although I've not played Norman's Forever 2 yet, which is supposed to be one of their best games. Uh, but that's just me making conversation at myself. <laughs> so uh, if, anyone's, if anyone's got anything else that they'd like to add on fear, any sort of questions that they'd like to pose before we sign off, speak now or forever hold your peace. It stands for Force Encounter, First Encounter Assault Recon, for yep, for the does. person who didn't ask. And that's all I have to add <laughs> to this episode. It is quite convenient, isn't it, that they came up with the name and they also investigated like the yeah exactly. Someone was wow, that's really I just realised that the things we investigate are terrifying, <laughs> and we're called Fear. Wow. Well, they were originally a charity to help out at-risk youth in the, <laughs> in urban LA, but it didn't go so well. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. Oh. right. Well, I think then we'll uh, we'll leave the discussion there on fear. Uh, we're not going to do our out of ten ratings joke anymore because you guys just just poo pooed that last I was time. And, it's a seven yeah, out of ten. Seven. We all know. Fear is a clear yeah, seven. Out you know of what? 10. It's a six. Oh, fuck off! You're... I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna give it a six. Just, just, just to sort of. If we're gonna kill this joke, <laughs> I'm gonna be the one that kills it. It's a six. <laughs> Our rear admiral is flaunting his power. I think I'm. Yeah. You maybe. Yeah, order. you're gonna have to walk me off the gangplank like Captain Bly. Uh, is that a reference that is understood in anywhere except Britain? I'll, I'll say, say sure. it's Horatio okay. Hornblower. They did make a movie about it called The Bounty, which had Mel Gibson in, so I thought that it might have some international appeal, but perhaps not. Uh, right, well, on that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that our new running joke? We just end, I, I, end of the bombshell? I just don't know how to end the episodes other than to say on that bombshell. I suppose I should say, because we're going with a nautical theme this week, on that depth charge, uh, we're going to... You do it then! <laughs> yeah, you be the host and come up with all the gags and the themes <laughs> alright next week next week I'm doing planes <laughs> <laughs> world of planes yeah I'm gonna do next time instead of boats we're gonna be boarding uh, an aircraft there's gonna be parachute and emergency procedure metaphor it's gonna blow your minds uh, until then I'll say that I've been your host, Edward Smith, and uh, although I have turned off Twitter at the minute, I think by the time this episode goes up, I'll have put it back on because I'll have grown tired of just talking to myself. So you can find me on Twitter at Most Sincerely Ed. Reed, how about you? You can find me on one of the seven C's of at Reed McCarter. (laughs) (laughs) I I felt like I had something there, Um, but I didn't. I'm at Reed McCarter on Twitter. yeah, that's the place you can find me. Patrick. I am also on Twitter at Han Freakin Solo. That is my um my, my flagship, mm, if you will. Nice. Um that's about as far as I think I can take this this metaphor. Well I'm glad you guys are getting involved. Uh Holly. You can find me at your local dump. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> on Twitter at Winners Use Drugs, and I'm also the managing editor at Game Ranks. And also tune into the Jumping the Shark podcast. Where can we find the Jump in the Shark podcast? You should just Google it. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's on it's, iTunes. It's on iTunes. It, yeah. It's on the internet, is it? Yep. 
it's on the right. internet. Also, microfilm at your local library. <laughs> uh, and what kind of things do you discuss there? Video games. Sounds boring. The end. <laughs> Sharks. Actually, this upcoming week we'll be discussing Firewatch. So Ooh, keep an eye out for that. That's a, that's that. a good yeah. game. That's a, that's a good, interesting game. Yep, and the uh, show's the the show's the best when we all actually play the same game that we're all talking about. So yeah. I'm looking forward to this one. It'll be the most cohesive podcast from Jumping the Shark yet in all of our 275 episodes. So, <laughs> well, if you are a fan of bullet points, do be sure to check out Jumping the Shark. It sounds quite a lot better and more cogent than this show. <laughs> uh, until then, I will sign off by saying that on our next episode, we will be playing a game that I think was suggested by yeah. Reed. Uh, Reed, what is the game that we're playing next time? We are playing a game about when your smart refrigerator comes to life and has a gun, binary domain. The Internet of Things, the game. <laughs> well, until then, we will drop anchor and... Uh, uh, I can't think of another naval metaphor. We will... Drop the Low, tank or return. We'll the return to port. We'll return to port, which is on the sort of right side if you're facing aft. And uh, no, it's on the left side. And uh, we'll be back next week aboard the bomber binary domain. Until then, uh, ahoy. I quit. <laughs>